Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined again this week by Jason Anderson of Black and Red United and also U.S. Women's National Team watcher and participator in. How's it, how's it going, Jason? How was your uh, how was your holiday week? No NWSL, but like no lack of, of women's soccer games, right? Yeah, uh, there's no there is no break. It turns out uh, as soon as I mean, much like the players, I still can't believe that um heading into the final i was asking a couple spirit players like so how quick is the turnaround for you and they're like uh it's fast is all they really wanted to say as a person on the ground i can confirm that it seemed like it was pretty fast um so the u.s did play one of their australia friendlies already they did this at um 11 p.m eastern uh time they were doing this in sydney um this was a cool game. Actually, I had a lot mm-hmm. of fun. I kind of let myself sort of have fun with this one. I wasn't really on the clock. I was more enjoying it as just someone who likes both of these teams and on 11 PM on a Friday, as you can imagine, sort of what the <laughs> vibe there was. But um, mm-hmm. I thought it was a well-contested match three zero scoreline, which I think maybe flattered the U S a little bit, but um, also we saw some exceptional individual performances that sort of made that what it was. A little bit of a new face, new generation, taking a look at what the post-Tokyo U.S. looks like. Just a quick scoring summary. The U.S. scores right away um, mm. in, in transition, really. It was just a good one ball by Emily Sonnet, progressed up through um, a, a number of players. I forget exactly who. Lynn Williams is the final person to touch the ball to send it into Ashley Hatch, who makes no mistakes. Very nice finish. This Was this Hatch's first I, I assume first goal mm-hmm. as a U.S. player. This wasn't her first cap, though, was it? Yeah, I think I think it's third cap, first okay. goal. Third cap, first goal. Um, so that changes the tenor of the game, right? Because the U.S., it seemed pretty clear that they were not intending to possess a ton in general. This was a very um, compact defensive game plan. Uh, but obviously, if you're winning one to nothing in the first minute, that helps because you don't yep. really have to push. Um they did score again in the 49th minute off a very nice sequence that began with Sofia Huerta up to Margaret Purse, who sends it into Rose Lavelle. And then they sort of iced the game off later in the second half. A Lindsay Horan um, penalty kick, which she also won, right? Yeah, did she, she kind of, yeah. She won the penalty and she pretty much like that whole play was just her, you know, going a super cyan yes. um, into the right. box, causing chaos enough that she wins the penalty and then converts it. It's one of those things that, you see happen on youth levels a lot where you have a player just sort of decide that something is about to happen. And then it does. It's rare to see it happen on this level. Um, So yeah, that was impressive. So let's get into it a little bit. So let's, let's start with the goals. I think probably focusing probably more on the first two though, the Lindsay Mm -hmm. Horan um, element of this game was pervasive. She was the captain, right? There was a little Mm -hmm. bit of, of Vlad Kojanovsky giving her more responsibility, not only in the midfield, but also just in terms of a leadership role. Um, But let's start with this opener here. Well, maybe actually before even that, before even that, because this player was involved in in the buildup to this goal. Mm -hmm. So you are, you're the Washington spirit guy, right? Which is great because (laughs) I have some questions that need some answers. (laughs) So so we all saw Emily Sonnet have a very good championship game, right? Mm-hmm. A, a kind of game that for a player that has been on U.S. Was- rosters for a long time, not even a bubble player, right? But just someone who doesn't always make the starting 11. You think, of course, Emily Sonnet should start in this game. She's the one in form. Very, very good final game of the NWSL season. And yet. <laughs> yeah. 
when she start when you see that she's starting it right back, you think, really? Now? <laughs> Tell me what you were thinking when you saw that she was kind of rewarded for one performance by being asked to do a completely different one. Yeah, I, I think unfortunately for Sonnet, the the issue isn't really even about her. And it, I almost wonder if there's anything she can do to change that perception of at the national team level, whether she's playing center back or not. Um, because, the, you know, the choice that Vlaco had for this game is if, if I'm going to start Sonnet as a center back, um, one, I need Emily Fox to be able to play a full 90, which we were told, or I mean, we were told the broadcast stated the wasn't going to be the case. It was right. always going to be one where she came out and they didn't bring, um, or they didn't dress. I, I don't know what the deal is with this uh, friendly setup where you're only dressing uh, seven players. We're back to a pre-COVID right. setup for reasons that I can't fathom right. um, because that that's still going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, the other thing is at center back, if Vlatko wants to say, I'm, I want to look at Alana Cook because her ceiling is so high we saw it at times with the rain this season. There were portions of the season where I thought we also saw the floor uh, for, for Cook. And it kind of the early part of the season uh, was mostly floor later, later yeah, in the year, a lot mostly better, ceiling. Right? Yeah. Um, and if Tierna Davidson obviously has been around the national team for quite a while um, and you want that distribution aspect from your center backs, Flacco's always going to want that. Mm-hmm. Um, Abby Dahlkemper wasn't in uniform. She's she made the trip. Uh, yep. We saw her. We spoke to her uh, on the uh, the Zoom from I, 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 the the international dateline will always confound me, even though like there's math <laughs> and you can look up things. And I was still like, whatever time it is. He- hello. Thanks for yes, speaking with right. me. But yeah, um, if she's not in uniform, then that distribution role kind of has to go to Davidson. Right. Um, and at that point, it's like, are you if you're calling for Sonnet to be a center back in this game, then you're necessarily calling for one of Cook or Davidson to not play or at least right. not start. Um, and so that's part of the problem that she's going to keep running into because it's not just those two, Becky Sauerbrunn's on this trip. Um, you have players coming through in the near future, uh, like Naomi Gurma, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, the center back job is going to remain extremely crowded. Um, and the fullback positions have been thinner. And I think this is a case of someone who, can play there is sort of boxed in and and not she's not certainly not the first player to fall into this where she's kind of boxed in as like mostly we look at you as this because that's just what the way things have been right yeah no I I find it very interesting because I did see um, some conjecture of Davidson right Davidson is a player who has played outside back Uh, at times she played um, Mm. outside back I believe in her one appearance in 2019 for the U.S. in the World Cup she did some outside back in preparation and also coming off of the world cup in, with Chicago. She's done some of that. However, this is a little bit of the, this weird conversation of what could be and what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. There's what could happen and what is happening. And with Davidson, there is a universe where they, she coaches tell her to prioritize outside back play because she is going to be their next fullback. And we're having that conversation now here in 2021, but that is not Mm -hmm. what did or is happening. Right. Mm -hmm. The, the U S coaching staff has decided that she is the next kind of cornerstone center back here. Um, She's not someone who is immune to making mistakes, right? Like we all saw the the championship game, but um, you're right that the distribution element is, I think the biggest part there. And Emily Sonnet 
is also good in distribution. The thing is, it's like, I kind of get it. I kind of get where you watch Emily Sonnet play and you think she's so good in space. She's good on the ball. She likes progressing the ball. This actually seems like a center back who perhaps would really thrive in an outside back role. Mm. And yet when it actually occurs, there's just a lack of, I don't know if it's maybe the lack of awareness of the space behind her maybe, Mm. or really wanting to enact one part of the game plan and just can't do both at the same time. It's just interesting to me that you have a player that is so good at knowing when to go and when to stay home when they're a center Mm. back and struggling with that at an outside back position. Um, Jason, I don't know if, if you have any thoughts on how that could occur, whether it's just not being used to it or thinking, actually, I have way more freedom on the outside. And maybe that is where you get caught out. I'm not sure mm. if, if you have a thought about that, how that could happen. That does seem like part of it. The, um, the fact that as a right back, you have to go forward more. Whereas right. the center if center back, when she comes out of that space, it's optional. It's kind of a bonus. Right. Um, it's good if it happens, but if it doesn't happen, no one's like, wow, what a disaster this was. Um, unless it's like, you know, you're playing against a team that goes uh, one-on-one all over the field, which Australia did for a few minutes in this game. And right. uh, Davidson actually basically just walked through like three lines of Australia before having to just uh, dish the ball off, which Which is not something that she does. So it was very funny to watch her be the player be like, well, they're really not stopping me. So yeah, they've, they've all decided who they're going to stand next to and no one's coming near me. So I'm just going to keep going. And if nothing happens, great. Right. Um, But yeah, that's, that is part of it that that responsibility, especially with the U S um, And this is something that's kind of frustrated me for a little while with the U.S. is that there's kind of an Mm in-between where when you play, you know, Kelly O'Hara, for example, playing mostly right back for the last three or four years for this team has been very much an old school, like I'm out on the touchline, I'm going to get forward, I'm going to hit crosses, but I'm always going to stay out near the touchline. There's not going to be that uh, dipping inside aspect. And I think the U.S. isn't ready to, or I shouldn't say isn't ready, but doesn't have the time. The vagaries of the international game mean they do, they had like two or three training sessions, or I think it was two sessions and a video session before they got this game underway. Right. Um, but they don't have time to implement uh, the sort of system you might see in the Premier League uh, on the men's side where fullbacks are coming inside, defensive midfielders are dropping off. It's a series of right. rotations that could be very useful for Sonnet. Um, I know I've I've spoken in a few places about the idea of I think she might be best as a defensive midfielder. Right. Um, and this is a way you could get her into those spaces without having to play her there full time. But it did seem that's... like it did seem like in, in the first half of this game that there were moments where I could mm. see Andy Sullivan having those exact same thoughts, right? Where mm-hmm. she's like, if if I can move here and Sonic can move here, we're good, we're covered. And those ideas are there and you can see it from the players themselves. Right. But what it ended up being was just that Andy Sullivan had to drift wide a lot. <laughs> and yes. that meant that that space was being given up um, from the sixth spot. And mm-hmm. so it's like, right. It's something that I think could be developed into something. I'm not sure it's fair to keep putting Emily Sonnet out there if they're not going to do that. Maybe is, right. is my point. Um, okay. So final Washington spirit question, We're probably not final, but good one for the very beginning of this match, Ashley hatch. Mm-hmm. So, I I say this kind of not really knowing. I will say that I felt like obviously watching that um, final, 
you know, Ashley Hatch did not get on the score sheet in that final, but she was hugely influential in the mm-hmm. way she was moving. And so I felt like I learned a lot about the things that she brings to a team off the ball in that game. Um, it's a little bit nice though, to have someone who doesn't miss those, right? Like there's, right. there's something to that. So sell me on Ashley Hatch. And I say this as someone who wants to be sold, mm-hmm. sell me on Ashley Hatch, us women's national team, number nine. So what's interesting about Hatch this year, especially, is that that aspect of her game that you mentioned from the final, that that being able to come off the front line didn't used to be there very much. She would try it, but she wasn't particularly effective. Um, And this year she's gotten much sharper at um, the way the spirit play. She doesn't play one forward role. Um, She spent, I would say it's like a it's like 50 percent of the season as like nominally the left sided forward. Mm-hmm. and 45% in the middle and very once in a while on the right. Um, but in any of those cases, she was always having to drift out of those positions to sort of help connect. Um, the spirit spent some time with a false nine in uh, Ashley Sanchez. And so she would drop off and Hatch would move into that space. But sometimes they would want Sanchez to stay high as a sort of a change up where the other team is thinking, well, she's definitely going to drop off and she just doesn't do that. And all of a sudden Ashley Hatch is in that space instead. Um, so adding that aspect to her game, both on both sides of the ball to, um, dropping off and being difficult for defensive midfielders to deal with, um, is a, is a new thing for her. It used to be very much about, can you stay high? Can you stretch the, the mm-hmm. defense? Can you make them stay home so that they can't compress the space vertically? Um, so adding that element to her game is, is, a has been a big factor in her success this season. This was her best season as a pro. Um, not just the golden boot makes it kind of obvious, but also the diversity of goals um, mm-hmm. that she scored is, is there were only three or four that are the like stereotype Ashley Hatch runs in behind uh, goal. She didn't have too many of them because right. the spirit basically demanded that of her. And she, she's mentioned multiple times that she spent a lot of time adding that to her game. Well, and that's um, also, that's also not what she was handed in this moment, right? She was right. not handed kind of a classic run in behind situation mm-hmm. it was more of a and, and this will be a theme of this whole game is i think i joke i have joked many times over the last three weeks that the only stat that matters uh when these american women play is duels <laughs> and yep. um the aerial duels one aerial duels one is like where yep. two of these goals come from right mm-hmm. uh, we had an aerial duel one by emily sonnet uh that makes its way up to the front line lynn williams wins an aerial duel herself this lands to the feet of Ashley Hatch. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you think Jason, maybe three years ago, Hatch isn't as composed in that moment. Do you think that there's some maturity there that's come with that? Yeah, I I think so. Um, The fact that it's, it's 24 seconds into the game, I I guess the ball's falling, falling to her at like 21 seconds into the game. Right. Um, You just don't have that happen very often. And it is, it is, even though you're up there, so, you know, quote unquote, expecting it, right. not really expecting it to fall that perfectly for you in that moment and be able to sort of shove your defender aside a little bit, um, which is another aspect of her game that's gotten better is yeah, physicality, um, just being able to win some of those battles that, and that's a huge part won. of being the U S number nine, two yes. is just being able to get like, you know, get dirty a little bit with, with, uh, with what's going on. An American tradition. Yes, Um, exactly. If you you think of the 2019 world cup, um, I always think about this with Alex Morgan, the fact that in the first game, she hurt her knee. Mm -hmm. Um, She, she hurt her knee in a way that probably made it so that she couldn't really do a lot. 
Right. And so her job changed to just son, kind of someone who is just out there to get beaten up. Yes. Um, right. And she did a great job of that yeah. on right. one leg. Um, and that's, yeah, she became she became kind of this black hole that sucked yeah. all this action in towards her. Right. Exactly. And and that's something that Hatch didn't used to have. Not even you said three years ago, uh, three years ago, not even last year. Right. Um, it, I don't think it was really there. And I think it was something that the, the spirit knew coming into the year that that needed to be a part of her game because they needed to figure out that was the question at the beginning of the season it was like, team looks really good. Are they going to, is someone going to score goals? Right. Um, and they needed her to add that, or they needed to find somebody else. Um, it was no real secret that the spirit uh, pursued Bunny Shaw at one point. Right. I don't know how close they got. They made a, they made an offer, um, but that's not an offer you make. That's not money you put up if you are 100% bought in. Um, right. But Hatch took that on the chin. She took the fact that her challenge cup didn't go very well on that regard. Um, and she just kept kept at it until she really started to show the the fruits of all that labor, which is that now she's much more well-rounded. She can be, you know, she can win these physical battles. She can be in the mix on those. She's really irritating for her teams to play against, which is very funny because she has this, her reputation within the spirit is like the nicest person on right. earth. She's rather stoic. She doesn't yes. really focus on what the other team is doing. I mean, we saw in this game, right? There was that mm-hmm. Haley Rasso shove. Exactly. Which the, the beautiful thing I love, I mean, this is getting ahead of ourselves, but the thing I loved about that moment was, we know Haley Rasso is a very passionate player. Classic yes. Rasso, right? Yes. Classic that she's putting that energy into Ashley Sanchez. It's also very funny that Ashley Sanchez herself has such an amiable presence that the ref, she shoves her into the ref and the ref kind of turns around and, and uh, Hatch is just like, I, I, I didn't do it. Yeah, <laughs> and like the ref I, is like, okay, I believe you. Yeah, you know? like I, yeah. Yeah, I, I can't see you running up and shoving me. It would be right. very out of character. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's part of things with hatch too, is that um, she has that, that ability to get under defender skin without there's it's not trash talk. It's not mm-hmm. cheap shots. It's just that she is always trying to get the ball and is mm-hmm. always trying to get back past you. There's never, she doesn't take plays off and you think, you know, she takes a knock, she rolls her ankle or something. And you think, okay, now she'll, she'll settle down some. She'll, she won't have as much going on and she just plays through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. She's just always there. And for defenders, it's like, again, and it's every single time with her. It's like, yeah, again. All right. Great seg. Great seg opportunity. Speaking of players that I'm sure the, the Matildas were like her again, mm-hmm. Casey Murphy. Yes. All right. Her U.S. Women's National Team debut, right? She's been in camp before. This is the first time she's gotten a start. First cap. Um, do you think we've ever seen a U.S. Women's National Team goalie in their first cap. Now, it's not the first, you know, it's not the first shutout, right, of of a debut. And we've seen other very good performances, but the confidence is really what blew me away there. I mean, I you go back to, like, the greats. You go back mm-hmm. to, like, what did Hope Solo look like in her U.S. Women's National Team debut? Again, that was, like, another very talented keeper, even for her. I'm not sure the comfort and confidence that we saw from Casey Murphy is quite there. Um, when you were watching that now, now Murphy is a very uh, talented keeper in that mm. she's, I mean, this is going to be obvious. She's very tall. <laughs> she has the extension. Um, but in any young keeper, there are things she can do better, which is, is not a dig, right? There are some right. elements of footwork, some elements of, of angles, all of that sort of stuff. But when you watch that performance, 
you think, oh man, that player's got the goods and everything else can be sculpted, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and coming off of um, you know, when you think back to the quarterfinal against North Carolina, she against the spirit, I mean, she had to be at that level for so much of that game. That's the why it went so long. Right. Um, and you know, as well as she did in that game, she did come away with the one. Downside, which is right. the rebound. Yeah. And it yeah. was even something the spirit addressed. They said, you know, she keeps making these diving saves and we're going for the top corner. Let's not. Yeah. Um, right. But, you know, to, you know, not to come across too, too much with a uh, blame for her on that one. I do think she saw that the goal in that game late, but it is like, if yes, that's the way right. as a goalkeeper, yeah. you end your season um, on a rebound, you don't normally cough up in a extra time playoff game. That's a really tough thing to then roll like, okay, sit here for two weeks, mm-hmm. um, train on your own, and then fly to Australia and play a game where Australia is going to play uh, at 150 miles an hour from yeah. start to finish. And they have uh, incredible attackers. So Right. And, and yeah. you know, good luck with that. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, fortunately, that's that's maybe an aspect that I think is very important here is that she had the men- the mental strength to not get hung up on that end of the season, not get hung on the fact that she then had to just not have any games for a couple of weeks. Um, New, you know, new surroundings, new coaches, new everything. And she just went out there and said like, okay, all that stuff is new and I'll have to adapt. But like during the game, my job is to not let the ball go in the goal and I'm going to do uh, everything I can on that front. And yeah, it's, it's one of those where the, the, the raw shot stopping ability, um, the fact that, like you said, her being tall is not like it, it's a big deal. It is a big deal, tall and not <laughs> yeah, right. and not clumsy adds so much. Right. Um, it just um, a goalkeeper of her size is rare to come across. And you think of the entire world, like I'm thinking of um, Endler. Yeah. Um, coming up with too many other goalkeepers in my head that are like in that range size wise, and it makes it very difficult to score. Uh, it turns out, especially if. Um, you know, the U S did a good job of not the chances they gave up. There were plenty of them, but a lot of them were a little further out. Um, and she's got that, that range that she can go get those. Um, and that's, she just time and time again, did the exact thing she needed to do. So from that front, um, mental strength as well. I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah. Right. It's like, um, she was able to, as you mentioned, the, the end of the season for North Carolina, it was, it was that she was able to take away the good stuff rather mm-hmm. than focus in on the bad. And you don't want a, a player who doesn't, you know, acknowledge the bad stuff because that's how you get better. But um, for her, the necessary energy was to come in with rightful confidence. And it seems like that is what happened. Um, as an extension of that, maybe, mm-hmm. this was a much younger U.S. team than we're used to. So they said this was the first time that everybody uh, on the starting 11 was under the age of 30 in a, in a while. Um mm-hmm the defending was not perfect and they were doing a lot of it, right? They, they had like 39% uh, possession. The whole goal was to just sit back, make sure that uh, Australia's clearly top level players just don't get, you know, don't get dunked on by Sam Kerr. Right. Right. Um, Know that Australia was starting some very young players in their own back line. Take your shots. Right. Mm -hmm. But did it feel like the commitment to full team defending was a little bit different? It felt to me, I'll say this, it felt a little less sophisticated, but it felt more committed in this mm-hmm. game, maybe than what we've seen in the past. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think so. And that might be some of it might be different personnel. Um, you have players who are they get the job done with 
physical physicality or athleticism a little yeah. more than right. uh, some of the traditional starters um, that are out there. And that's not a bad thing. Um, it's good to maybe that's one of the things they learned from the Olympics even is that um, when the going got tough against Sweden, yeah. they weren't able to you know, overcome some of this stuff the easy way, which is, I say the easy way, but it's really like some people just have those gifts and not having enough of them can be a problem. Um, So there was some of that, I think for sure that it was a little like, we're trying to keep a clean sheet here. And if it's a little ugly, that that's fine. We're not too concerned about how um, sophisticated or um, aesthetically pleasing the defending is. We just want it to get done. Right. Um, and that mentality seemed to be there. It is certainly also when you look at the experience level from some of these players that might be more familiar. Right. Um, those solutions might be more familiar than the the most elegant uh, ways because, you know, a lot of NWSL games, you don't have time to be elegant. So the, right. the high level experience you get is not doing it that way. It's like, well, look, I had to like get hit in the face by a ball, but, um, you know, we didn't concede. So, you know, I'm thinking now of... Um, sonnet against the uh the rain in that semifinal right where she's gonna put her body in front of me right it's gonna hurt but we're gonna do it yeah yeah it was like an ice hockey uh, defender instead but yeah there was a there was definitely an element of that in this game but i also think australia kind of provides that challenge yeah um they do kind of put you in a test where like if you can't do these things we're gonna punish you yeah and i would also say to be you know, I, you don't, you, I want to heap a lot of praise on this performance. I thought that a lot of it was very promising. I thought there was a little bit of that U S edge to it that mm-hmm. I really liked. Um, the U S traditionally plays Australia. Well, that is also yeah. true. And so this result going this way kind of is in line with some of the matchups that Australia has against the U S which I think is just kind of tough for the Matildas. The Matildas get some, some good results against many teams. It is not frequently the u.s that is just that is just true um so let's talk about the second goal because Mm -hmm. we're in a little bit of this interesting john and i john halloran and i were complaining we complained a little bit uh two weeks ago that the u.s didn't really call up any natural outside backs and then they do bring imani dorsey in and i fully understand i a thing that i want to say is like a person's first camp is not easy and i actually don't have any expectations of imani dorsey playing in either of these games and i think that's fine um so they bring in Sofia Huerta, right? So Emily Fox can't play the whole game. Emily Sonnet switches to the left. Mm-hmm. Sofia Huerta comes in on the right. Um, there was actually a very good piece on the equalizer done by John Halloran about Sofia Huerta talking about how this feels a little bit different this time. She feels a little bit more mm-hmm. comfortable coming in, playing it right back. Um, does this goal happen against everybody? No. Was it a really good like three-person effort? Absolutely. Um, And you just, you start with Huerta winning the ball in the air definitively so that the aerial duel one turns into a pass essentially with her head. Uh, Midge purse picks that up. Uh, There's an attempt to be fouled. She does not let that happen. She turns the Mm -hmm. corner and gets end line. And I think the thing that is really exciting about that particular moment too, is because Rose Lavelle was very much tasked with being the attacking driver in this game. And there was a moment where Lavelle makes the sign, the universal sign for ball to my feet, please. Mm -hmm. And Purse sees it and delivers that. And then not only is Lavelle ready for it, it was just very easy, right? And then even behind her, Hatch was behind her, Mm -hmm. ready to clean up something if it didn't happen. 
And to think of the fact that these players have not gotten very much time together at all, the fact that they are finding each other in this way mm. is very exciting, right? Even if we know that maybe it's not going to be all of these people all of the time against every particular other team, that's good. That's good. That's progress, right? Yeah, definitely. And and these are these are all we're, we're, all four players we're talking about are very smart players, and they're able to figure things out. And you know, I, I think. Uh, Huerta did benefit a little from coming into this game, having gotten 45 minutes of observing what Australia was doing. Right. Um, her winning that header, I think, is her reading a pattern of play that Australia was going to time and time again. Um, and knowing that it was it was knowing that she was going to have to expect it, um, mm-hmm. which is a little different from the sonnet header. That pattern of play wasn't established yet because it was so so early. Right. But like I, I can only describe what Huerta did in that play to like a pick six interception where yes. she saw the ball coming towards her and she said, I'm actually going to get around this player and it's straight to the end zone from there. Right. There's, right? No, there's, yeah. there's no one between me and everything else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and that this is, you know, Lavelle getting that run and signaling for the pass she needed. Um, Purse in the first half didn't see a lot of the ball because mm-hmm. of the way the U.S went about the game um so she wasn't really getting too many reps as far as um that understanding with Lavelle as a forward I know everyone is super excited that she was listed as a forward even though there's nothing there was nothing stopping them from playing her as a forward when they listed her as a defender yes Um, that's (laughs) not a thing that, that that stops anything um but it is nice to see that recognized um and to see her go out and show us this is the kind of thing she's been doing for Gotham all year is yeah um Getting getting these moments on the break and recognizing what needs to be done. It's not saying this is the thing I do and I'm just going to go do that. It's she is smart enough where she can say, like, in this moment, what's needed is X instead of Y. Um, and this was a, a great example of that as well. Um, yeah, I, I think all around it was a it was a pretty good goal. And it's also just that that classic, like you were saying, that that classic U.S. edge of like, you're Australia, you come out and you have a lot to be happy about in your first half. And you, you kind of be like, well, that first goal was so fluky. Let's just throw it in the bin. Um, and then the second half starts and it's almost the same exact thing again. It's like, this is, this is what it's like against the U S right. um, and that's wasn't what it was like during the Olympics, but this has often been the case for teams high in the FIFA rankings, low in the FIFA rankings. It's never really mattered right. um, when the U S is doing well they do things like this to you where you think you've got a handle on the game. You, you've got a lot of positives that you're pointing to. And then one recognition from one player for four or five seconds later, and it's do nothing. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, to sort of close up this segment, obviously we talked a little bit about, we, we spoke a little bit about the Haran penalty. Um, it seemed like it, it is true that the U S midfield was a little bit easy to play through in this game in ways, right. Where they, they gave space up sometimes. Um, and I say, I truly say this as someone who has, who had to cover every single Chicago red stars game this season. Mm -hmm. It's more just, there was discussion of the lack of connectivity in the midfield. Mm -hmm. When you are playing a game plan where you are giving up 61% of possession, is if they were connecting in the midfield, that wouldn't be the game plan, right? right. Like, I, I feel like I go back and forth on this. Like, yes, it doesn't look great, but it's also not what they were asked to do. Mm. Um, 
And that's not going to work against every team. I, I fully understand that. But in yeah. this particular game, it felt, I mean, it seemed like players were sticking to their roles pretty well, right? Yeah, I think overall, um, the, you know, the midfield took a lot of heat, but they weren't really being played through. Right. Uh, Australia was really good at playing around mm-hmm. um, and and just going, not not going around by going all the way on the wing, but just playing very quickly in half spaces on either side rather than go over the top or anything like that. And I think that the one, you know, Vlatko didn't really want to get into their adjustments. He straight up declined to specify some of them after the game. But the one he did mention was they asked Haran to, to drop her starting spot just a little bit deeper um, and sort of be a little asymmetrical um, in, in recognition of Australia coming down, especially Carpenter uh, attacking that space on the right, which was Haran being left center uh, in the midfield. Um, so just giving her a, a little more uh, space to work with, a little more proximity to Sullivan, um, I think closed at least one of the, the issues. But um, yeah, overall, it, it was an interesting situation because I don't know that they would have expected Australia to play at that tempo um, for, you know, that quickly uh, in, into the game. Um, and it, it did kind of force the players to improvise a little bit. And some of it didn't go all that well. Um, there were also some moments where they were playing from memory a little bit, positioning themselves off of the norms that they've got with their teams, um, that weren't necessarily where they needed to be in that moment. Um, but yeah, it, it was an interesting problem to get, uh, to have posed to the U S and I, I do think they could have, um, they could have dealt with it better. It wasn't yeah. perfect. Oh by yeah. Name. Right. Um, like I said, there were some misses from, from, you know, there were a couple of close misses, uh, from Australia. It, the, the actual score line does not necessarily reflect the performances exactly. Right. It, yeah. it was one of those games where, you know, and, and Tony Gustafson said this after the game that, um, between the boxes, he was very pleased with what he saw right. but inside the two penalty areas. That was the difference between the teams. Um, right. and, you know, the U.S. has Casey Murphy playing as well as she did. And when the chances popped up, you have Hatch and Lavelle putting them away. And then right. Horan um, kind of creates something out of nowhere. Um, all of those are big plays that the U.S. made that Australia didn't have. On, they didn't have something like that to offer. Right, right. But, you know, if, if you're the U.S., you certainly don't want the midfield to have the same issues in game two. Yeah. Um, and you know, having a couple extra training sessions, I'm sure will help because that, that will double the amount of training sessions they've had, uh, to prepare. So I, I'm more interested in how the midfield plays in this second game. Uh, to be honest, the first game I was just thinking, okay, Australia is kind of blitzing them. Um, everything is being done so quickly right. that it's hard to adjust. And it, it I think the U S had some things they could have done, but it would have taken a stoppage in play and they never really got that. Right. I think maybe my final thought is this having said again, that I think the scoreline was flattering, probably more like a two, one game than a three, nothing game. Um, however, in these kinds of friendlies, you know that you're going to go in, in this first game and rely on a little bit of individual excellence to kind of get you through. Mm. And this group was young they're green, lots of first caps, lots of first goals. This was Midge Purse's first assist. Mm-hmm. This was a new added element of responsibility to this group. 
they went into, I wouldn't say a hostile environment because I like to think that the U S and Australia love each other <laughs> to a certain extent, but it like everyone was having a great time. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I love these games, but, um, it was 36,000 fans for the yeah. other team. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, on a very different time zone, big travel. Some of them came in, right. Came in right from the end of their end of USL season, them coming together. I would say it is heartening. If you are a United States women's national team fan, there are going to be games where you simply rely on player for player. The U S outplaying the other team. Yeah. And that's kind of what they got. And, And weirdly, Australia kind of contributed to that on some level. Like I mentioned, the, the stretch where they were one-on-one yeah. um, as a defensive setup, which Gustafson after the game, he said like, we threw that at them for a few minutes because teams, no one else is willing to do that. Right. Um, but the downside is like, if you your see players why, are better, right. Yeah. You see yeah. why people aren't willing to do that because like you can just get kind of bulldozed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think Australia got bulldozed necessarily, but no, no, no. it didn't work. Um, no. It was an experiment. It's, oh, it's a great time for these teams to be experimenting this standing off for so long um, is I think Flacco saying like, we didn't do this well at the Olympics and we will have to do it in a competitive game in the future. So we better continue to work on it, continue to build um, reps for what we want this to look like, even for when the, you know, some of the more established players come back in um, it's all still going to go on game tape that they'll be referring to. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that, that is an interesting thing that Australia was like, let's, I mean, it's very Australian. Uh, it's very Matilda's uh, attitude to be like, why not? Let's just right. give it a let's shot. Let's do this for this a little bit. Goes. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and we'll have some fun with it. And it, yeah. it didn't work, but they're like, ah, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. I was, I, I hope, you know, this is about, this is going to come out. Oh gosh. They're act- the second game will actually have been just played when this is released at, at four o'clock in the morning Eastern. But, um, I I'm interested to see what happens if, if Australia really comes out trying to win this next one. I wonder if maybe they're like, we get a two home, we get a two home game series against this team. We want to get one of them. Um, if that changes things a little bit, but no, I love this. I love this kind of stuff. This is the soccer nerds dream, right? Cause none right. of it matters and it's all trying new cool stuff and we get new faces and new performances. So I really enjoyed this game. Really, really did. We'll enjoy uh, the next one slightly less cause it will be in the middle of the night. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but hopefully another good really, game, a really rough time. I, I don't know what we can do about this, but this dateline thing has got to be solved. Yeah. It needs to stop. We need I'm to write, all be I'm on the same my page. congressman. Yeah. Play it in the middle of the night. Who cares? Um, all right. Very good. So yeah, this was a nice long discussion on this game, which I think is enjoyable. We'll have a little bit of some, some league general discussion. Maybe part two is not going to be too long, but um, we'll kind of get into sort of the state of the league with NWSL right now. Um, maybe a little bit of college. We'll sort of see what pops up, but this has been part one of the equalizer podcast. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins joined this week by Jason Anderson. Please rate and review this podcast. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review on Apple podcasts. It helps set a lot. I do read them every once in a while. I go in and I'm like, what are the people saying? And when they're nice, ah, that makes me feel great. So please say nice stuff. Five-star review helps people find us all that good stuff. So Big U.S. game, you know, other other it's an international break. Right. So there's not a lot happening in, in the domestic game elsewhere. Um, we have made it to the College Cup. Right. The quarterfinal round of the NCAA tournament just happened. Some really nice individual performances there. Some some upsets, I, I believe. Oh, my gosh, I'm going to say this now. And if it's wrong, we'll have to fix it later. But maybe I'll be right. I believe that the College Cup is BYU 
Rutgers, FSU, and Santa Clara. And so that yes. that's our college cup. And it's a good mix, I think. It's a good mix of some teams that have been here before, some teams who are are more up and coming. Um, yeah, a, a good round of games. I, I enjoy college soccer. There's not a lot to be taken away from it in terms of uh, serious tactics or anything like that, right? They have the open subsystem. It's a lot just about right. sort of who shows up and who does not. Um, I thought, yeah, those, those games were interesting, but let's just talk NWSL a little bit, I think before we go. So, you know, everybody heard from us a more real time reaction to the news out of Chicago last week. Um, and now, you know, we haven't really gotten much news since, which is not shocking. It's mm. an American holiday week, right? I think a lot of people were trying to take at least some days off. Um, sufficient to say that, uh, there has not been any sort of a concrete or material response from Chicago here yet. Um, and there hasn't been a ton of motion elsewhere. I, I think we can expect, you know, we're recording this on Sunday night. There might be some stuff even that we missed that happens on Monday, but um, we're getting closer to expansion draft time. Mm-hmm. And one of the stories of the championship week in the context of, of hearing about that, that Roy Dane story in the Washington post is, that we maybe had one team that had sort of dealt with their demons and, and one team that had not. Mm. And I think that that's where we're at right now in the, in this sort of off season moment as, as well, which is, I think you have some teams who are a little bit more prepared for expansion um, and, and some teams that I'm not entirely sure who's running the show at this mm. moment. So I guess maybe this is a very general question, but I don't know, Jason, how are you feeling? I mean, certainly from a Washington standpoint, because I do think that the Washington ownership situation is going to be an issue in the naming of a head coach in that who does that, who right. gets the final vote and what is the process. Right. Um, yeah. Even if that does just mean promoting Chris Ward, like, can they agree on that? I, I right. don't know. Um, how do you feel the league is at, at this moment having, you've been in the trenches of it a little bit, right. With the spirit mm. and, and seeing it elsewhere. Do you have a thought on we're, some teams are about to make some very big decisions. Mm-hmm. Are they ready? Are these teams ready for this? I probably not. Um, yeah. And I think it's just that every team has had some major thing on their plate this year. Right. Um, you know, we talk about the the fact that James Clarkson is now the, the longest tenured coach in the league. And um, there was that stat going around about how Casey Stoney was like, top five in tenure or something like that, despite um, not playing a game. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what it was, but she was pretty far up there because of just how much chaos there's been with every club or, or in Portland's case, uh, you know, a little chaos and also a planned departure that we've known about for a while. But um, yeah, I, I think it's coming up way too soon for most teams around the league and they all have, uh, a real problem. I know with the spirit, it, it reminds me of, um, I'm not a super experienced traveler. And so every time I travel, I always feel like everything is happening so fast. Mm-hmm. And then I get there. This happened when I was in Chicago for the draft, um, which was, I think the last real trip I had of note where I'm traveling, I'm traveling. I get, I take the train to the airport. I fly to Chicago. And then I finally stepped off of, I took the, the train to, the convention center and I stepped out of the train, I realized I was like almost like running instead of walking mm-hmm. and I didn't have to. Um, right. I was like, what am, what am I trying to walk so fast for? What am I doing? Um, I had to sort of slow down. And, and I think for the spirit, it feels that way 
where they've been in such a hurry to get get the one task done right um and get through just how are we going to like how are we going to set up to train and play games and and that kind of thing and now they have these more complicated questions with longer term problems where there isn't a full-time head coach uh Larry Best the GM is no longer doing that um so it's not clear to me who would make that choice um if the expansion draft came and they don't hire anyone I guess Ben Olsen might be filling in on some soccer side stuff, but I don't know that it's a guess because um, they have really been flying by the seat of their pants. Um, And Chicago is now in that case where this was something that Rory Dames was completely in charge of. As far as I could tell was GM coach, all the decisions, all the scouting, everything was one person, Um, which, you know, note to NWSL clubs, let's maybe not do that. that. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. uh, Big mistake, perhaps. Yeah. You have to you have to staff up so that if one thing goes wrong and we can't assume that this league is going to be just free and clear of states, uh, we're probably going to continue running into more of them, unfortunately. Um, And having having an organizational setup where it's not one person, it turns out is very important for everyone. Um, Yeah. There are some teams that I think are they seem to be on a better footing um, Mm -hmm. that the decision makers at the club are still kind of there. But um, a lot of those clubs are also teams that have really difficult uh, things to sort through. You know, Orlando uh, has a ton to make a ton of decisions to make because they have a roster that hasn't been successful and is on the older side. Right. Um, How do you negotiate that? You've got also a lot of players who are expecting to be, to hear that they are protected and not a lot of space, uh, protected spots to dole out. Right. Um, so they have maybe their problem is not leadership. It's kind of clear they've got a structure. They've yeah. they've done that, that. And they've part got a general it. manager, and they're a team too. That maybe another element is that again, where I just think Chicago is in big trouble is mm. they played the most amount of games. So yes. they were focusing on Plan A for a very long time, and now they're focused on this off season, and they they don't have anybody in that role. Mm. Um, Whereas a team like Orlando or I mean Houston, they're they're theirs is intact, but they have some right. decisions to make, right? Or they've even announced some re-signings, which I think have been have been very positive. Mm-hmm. Um, Kansas City, you know, they had Hugh Williams move out of the head coach track, but he's probably still running that draft for them. There right. there are teams that have had time to think about this. Yes. Um, and so that is useful. And then yeah, yeah you're right sure. that any team where the general manager and the head coach are not the same person have an advantage here All right so someone has been able to do this for some of their time right exactly uh, and it's not two yeah. weeks of cramming right. um whereas now it's it's there are teams where it's like it's two weeks of cramming and it's like who's going to do this cramming um yeah. who, who's gonna have to sit on this call and say like uh we we protect you know oh, someone took our player we protect x uh player as a in response return, like, right yeah who's who's in charge of any of this um and we've also got like before we even get to that point, there's a week left of uh, trades, I believe, or not a yeah. full week, but right. a few days. And if if anything is going to happen between now and the expansion draft, it's got to be jammed into that. So yeah. I you know, if you're following the league, you probably need to prepare for uh, a few things this week. It seems like those are the, that's the way the wind is blowing. 
Yeah, I think the other way the wind is blowing, and I say this without any inside information at all, but simply just like being a human being watching all of this happen is I think you're going to have some requests Mm -hmm. and they're not always going to be things that make sense like on the field, but with the understanding that all of these teams have had a certain amount of upheaval off of the field, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see some motion that, um, that doesn't always make perfect footballing sense, which is a weird place to be also before an expansion draft, because Mm. you might have some players. You said there are some players who might expect to be protected and aren't. You might have some players who would like not to be protected and they are. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so there's that element as well. Yeah. There's a, it's, you know, I I think of, of these teams now, at least, uh, not that Portland has had their shortage of change, but like, with um Karina LeBlanc and and with um Wilkinson or um yeah reportedly yeah yes um that getting that thing set up um and having some people there for even like a month or so head start ends up being a really big deal um they don't have to then say okay you know Mark Mark is gone um we've we've shifted the GM duties to someone else it's actually a committee making decisions it's like this is how a club should operate um, so they have a luxury in a way, though, though I'm sure if you ask them, uh, they're probably going to say this, this is not enough time because it, right. it isn't realistically. Right. Like I understand that the league has to settle these things, uh, before the holidays and all that stuff, but like, it's not good that this is the way things are going to go. I also just, um, this is maybe a thing that the league could learn from, MLS in terms of a don't do this is mm-hmm. maybe don't do an expansion draft. Yeah. Um, right. Maybe just give the teams the assets to, you know, the expansion team. So here's a bunch of stuff that you can trade, um, make your deals, you know, build your roster from there um, rather than do it draft style. Um, yeah. Because that, I don't think that's helpful for anyone. I don't think anyone comes out of that in a, any real beneficial way because every you know, we're talking about teams on a like front office level, coaching level, player roster level. Everyone has a reason to be like, wow, this sucks. I don't yeah. enjoy this one bit. Well, right. It, it just makes everybody feel bad. And I think I've said this before. Like, I, I don't think that the rules going into this particular expansion draft are super expansion draft team friendly either. Right. So it just ends up with the existing teams not feeling great and the expansion teams not feeling great. Um, yeah, I mean, I would hope. Certainly, I would hope with the understanding that you have to get your house in order before you can expand too much. I think I I would certainly hope that we are not in a situation where the league feels pressure to expand out of 12 teams Mm -hmm. for like a year or two. You know, like I would hope that 12 is fine, right? For a little bit Mm -hmm. and then really make sure not only that it's not only the bids, but it's the the processes that go into having the bids become part of the league Um, doing away with the expansion draft, I think would do a lot for goodwill. Um, All right. Next question, Jason, do you think that these two things happening so quickly, which is objectively bad for, I don't know, everybody. um, Do you think that that has to do with the fact that they don't know what the CBA situation is going to be in 2022? Yeah, I think that's definitely a big factor um, that they would want to make sure that, this mechanism happens before rather than after mm-hmm. that gets settled. Um, that's a, unfortunately for the players association side, that's a, the owners have some power and they want to exert it. Um, and that's, you know, this is what they know uh, in a lot of cases, a lot of the owners in the league are familiar with 
an expansion draft system. And so they're probably thinking like, let's get this one in Mm -hmm. because this is what we want rather than let's get through this negotiation. And and I will say it also streamlines that negotiation. This is one thing that um, the two sides don't have to argue about this time, this specific expansion draft. They can say, look, in the future, this concept needs to be talked out and changed probably. Um, but this one, we just have to accept is kind of a lost cause. If you're the players association, I assume I'm assuming that the players association is probably not too big on the expansion draft, uh, concept wise. Right. So, uh, you know, I, I think from the ownership perspective, they're like, yeah, let's get this one in now before we really get things settled, uh, with the CBA. Um, and it does come with, um, you know, the unfortunate reality, which is that the season just ended and, right all this stuff is about to, or like all these teams need time to shake some things out and, or like regain their footing uh, at Mm -hmm. all. And instead they have to do something that will have consequences possibly for the next several years for them, for all of them. Yeah. I mean, I think also it just comes in the capital a allocation issue, which is that Mm -hmm. the entire expansion draft process is based on the concept of allocation, which we're all expecting to disappear. Um, so I don't know that you you're to your point where expansion drafts are not a great idea. You know, it's one thing to tell teams that they have to give up players that they themselves don't pay all of their salaries for. Mm-hmm. But if they're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to a player and you're going to tell them that they have to choose one of them, <laughs> I think that's tough. Um, yeah. As opposed to being like, hey, new teams, maybe you want to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars <laughs> on new people, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, the player pool would allow that. But um yeah. And then the college draft, right. has its own issue with the COVID rules and all of that sort of stuff. And that it could end up being players that show up for you right away or players who wait a year. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would say like where I feel with it is that I, I at least feel better. I'm going to feel a lot more secure after the expansion draft, I think, cause it's going to make mm-hmm. angel city and San Diego a little bit more real, which I think is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just hope that that can be as much of a painless process as possible. Also an, an, uh, an added variable there is that you have two teams, right? So you're actually going to have decisions may be affected by the other expansion team, which yes. is also going to be new. Um, so honestly, you know what? We're just going to keep this short. It's a holiday week. We're just going to, we're just going to keep this short here. And I'll just ask you, Jason, is there a particular team where you think to yourself, they've kind of got this figured out, right? Is there, I mean, it's a very early prediction, but who do you think maybe is in a good situation to make it through, forget the college draft, but just make it through the expansion process feeling okay. Uh, You know, I'm going to go kind of out there with uh, Kansas city. The fact that they, they had the foresight to um, demand and eventually get that, um, that protection uh, that, that they also managed to make sure was tradable um, is a real grasp on, the bizarre rules that American soccer for reasons <laughs> unknown will always incorporate. Um, that is, that is a team that has studied their um, weird MLS history and been like, let's look at some things that didn't work for some of those expansion teams and see if we can game the, the system a little. Right. Um, the fact that that's tradable also, I, I think they should be shopping that um, mm-hmm. because I don't think the team they're they're not going to have too many players. This isn't a, a knock on, their squad too much, but I don't think that they're 
going to be in too much danger. The, they're not losing protect, four players to this draft. Right. Yeah. They, they can protect the core players that they are building around. This is right. a team that won three games out of 24. So um, they know that they need to make changes anyway. Um, and that protection should be very, very valuable to a lot of other teams. Um, so they should be looking to get something big uh, out of that, whether that's more players. We've seen them make uh, an aggressive trade uh, in the For league numbers, this season. Yeah, right. um, so this, uh, this is a team that strikes me as having a good understanding of this, not just because they just went through it, but also, um, or I guess they didn't go through it. I keep, I keep forgetting the whole, it's just one more complicated thing to remember. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, the, the fact that their behavior in general hints to me of a team that understands the dynamics and the mm-hmm. weirdness of an expansion draft and right. have decided we're going to try and be proactive with this thing um, rather than just sort of allowing it to happen. Um, so I, I think that they're in a good spot. I, I do expect them. I don't know anything. I have no Kansas City sources whatsoever. I expect them to trade that protection, though. Yeah. Right. Um, but as to who would go for it. Right. Uh, I don't know. There's six playoff teams. They probably all uh, you have to think have the asking spot. price is kind of high, right? It's so, got to be high. Yeah. Um, and and if you're Kansas City, uh, why wouldn't you play everyone against each other yep. um, to drive that up? Because there are going there's going to be a team that pays for that. And they're going to say this is more than we wanted to pay. But I'm glad we did it anyway. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think Kansas City actually strikes me as the team that is on the surest footing, even though like you mentioned, Hugh Williams is not the coach, the dynamic there, like everyone's has changed. Um, But they do seem to have uh, an idea of what they're doing on a level that the other teams maybe haven't had the opportunity to, um, you know, we don't see what they're doing as much Kansas city. We've kind of, because of these other facts that are, you know, them acquiring the protection, things like that. That's a thing that they've done that we know they did rather than, you know, maybe there's a random team that has really prepped for this thing super well and has been having an employee do this for weeks and months, but we don't know that. And they're not going to tell us until after. Yeah. I mean, I think maybe if you think about it in that term, it's like the expansion draft is another, is another parody um, equalizer in that the teams who are going to come out of this, the best are the teams with the least stacked rosters. Right. Mm-hmm. So it not only does this benefit the expansion teams, but it probably does benefit Kansas city or Louisville sure. or even Orlando. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if you think about who talk about an aging squad, like they're, they're going to, the Orlando pride are going to hurt some feelings here, but right. it'll ultimately be healthy for the organization and they can make some bets based on who angel city and San Diego might be interested in that mm-hmm. work in their favor as well. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I have to think that right now it's a, it's another situation where the best teams in this particular moment are the ones with very little to lose. And I think that mm-hmm. that is it. You know, I would love a, a piece of growth that I would love for this league is to let the top teams truly be great. Right. I think that we see some constrictions there that feels like sometimes they don't it's not allowing them to compete with the best teams in, in the world, honestly. Mm-hmm. But um it could be an even tighter situation next year, right? Even mm-hmm. with the expectation that these expansion teams aren't going to be able to set the world on fire because that's not fair. All of these things work into this sort of very tightly wound situation where you end up with the table the way that it was at the end of this year. And I think we might mm-hmm. see that continue. So um, I think it's going to be a rough experience. I don't love the expansion draft. I've been open about that for a long time. I don't think anybody likes it. I think it makes people's 
feelings hurt. I think it's, it's painful for fans and for people in front offices and for players themselves. Um, but here we are, and at least we're sending them to the sandy beaches and the beautiful, <laughs> the beautiful, you know, dry heat of, of, right. uh, of sunny California. But, um, yeah, so that, that's sort of a state of the league where we're at going into expansion. We'll be talking about this more, but um, that seems good enough for this week. We'll have more, we're more in the future to talk about. Um, so I've been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you so much, Jason, for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy. Shout out to Blue Wire Podcasts, our podcast distributors. This has been the Equalizer Podcast. I am sure we will have more news for you guys next week, but I don't know what it is, but we will check in with you then. <laughs> See you guys next time.